Future Self Podcast, Episode 17. There's 24 hours in a day for all of us. We're no different. So it just depends if you want to work five and say you're tired, if you want to work 20 and say you're tired. That's the only difference. This is the Future Self Podcast. Here's your host, Robert Ingalls. Hello, Future Self listeners, and welcome to Episode 17 of the Future Self Podcast, where every episode is intended to provide you with actionable advice that you can implement in your life today to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And with that goal in mind, listener, I will be compiling knowledge, insight, and inspiration from some of the most accomplished minds and serving it up every Friday. Now, if your faith in humanity has taken a hit lately, then you are in for a treat with today's guest. Today's guest hails from Jacksonville, Florida. Growing up in a single-parent household in a rough neighborhood, he learned to fend for himself at a very young age. He was on track to play collegiate basketball. However, his dreams were dashed after suffering an injury to his ankle that would ultimately put an end to his basketball career. Not content to allow his situation to dictate his outcome, today's guest flashed that trademark resilience that he's been forging since childhood. After scraping by waiting tables, he found his way into the financial services industry, which took him to San Diego. Returning to North Carolina after the market bottomed out, today's guest found his way into medical sales, a job that would set the stage for his leap into entrepreneurship. Today, he is challenging the entire model of the pharmaceutical industry. After epinephrine doubled in price overnight and parents found themselves choosing between groceries and life-saving medicine, today's guest decided it was time for a change. As cliche as it sounds, he truly does believe in people over profits. His goal is to provide the life-saving drug at the lowest price possible. He's also revolutionizing the product design to avoid crucial mistakes that have plagued EpiPens for years. It is my pleasure to introduce my friend and one of the most dapper gentlemen I know, think Don Draper minus the bad habits, Mr. Blake Anderson. Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great, man. (laughs) That was uh, undeserved. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody says that. Uh, So we heard a brief bit about your backstory. Uh, So take a moment and tell us what you're up to right now. Sure. Uh, So recently we came out of uh, what I like to say secret development. Uh, We've been working for about a year. I I keep saying we because I always include my uh, wife and my children in my endeavors. It's always we. Um, well, it used to be I, and then after we got married, I got into a lot of trouble. Like, it's not I anymore, it's we. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am, it's we. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I recently uh, came out of secret development. Um, we're, we're patent pending now on the design. Uh, so we're we're very free and, and liberal to speak about what, you know, I've been working on for the past uh, year, year and a half. That's kind of brought us to this uh, point. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about it, um, but where did you, where where were you when you kind of had this idea that this is what you wanted to go after? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I've always worked on multiple projects at one time. Uh, it's kind of how my brain works. And unfortunately, that can be a positive and a negative when you have a lot of things to work on. Necessarily, one thing doesn't get pushed up to the top, sure. if you will. Multitasking, nothing gets done right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the old uh, saying, multitasking is a myth. You think you're doing everything well, but you're doing everything bad. <laughs> so um, about a year ago, um, you know, I was working on the project and, you know, you alluded to the fact that it kind of made national headlines, uh, what was going on 
uh, with, you know, competitors out there concerning epinephrine pens and the, the prices doubling. And at the moment, you know, it was on my board. It was something that I was uh, working with. And, you know, I don't like bullies. Um, I, I believe that everybody has a fair right and a fair shot at um, equal health. Um, I don't think that it should be a choice. And I felt there was really something that I could do about it. So I kind of pushed that to the top of my board and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to make this my focus. Uh, time to stop doing everything bad and let's just try to do one thing really well. Sure. Uh, so what makes you uniquely qualified in, in, for that position? Like you see, like, because if I saw that, because I remember seeing it and I'm like, man, somebody should do something about that. And that was kind of the end of that thought for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us have those thoughts. Um, you know, we're, we're individual people and, and a lot of times we can't do anything on our own. Um, but one of, you know, my core tenants is, you know, we can do everything together. And, and I believe that, um, you know, there's a case study that was done in New York, uh, to actually about empathy and apathy. So, you know, they took somebody and put them on the street and let a scenario run out where a bad thing happened. And I think there's been a show about this too, uh, where people just walk by and they don't do anything. And it's not that you feel bad or don't feel bad about the situation, but we're wired to think, okay, there's so many people around. Somebody will do something about the situation. Sure. So therefore nobody does something about the situation. Um, and again, you know, I'm not the brightest guy in the world. I don't think I'm qualified to do anything, but I, I did feel like I could bring something to the table to help people. And, and that would be by introducing another competitor um, and competitors in, you know, capitalism is always a win-win for the consumer. Sure. The more competition you have, typically the, the lower you can drive prices down and we want to come in and just destroy the market for as pricing is concerned so we can just better improve the lives of patients. Right on. How did we find ourselves in a market where epinephrine, which uh, I understand is a relatively inexpensive uh, drug, how do we find ourselves in a market where, you know, people are looking at hundreds and hundreds of dollars for this product? You know, I, I think overall, um, you know, malicious or, or not malicious, um, you know, we've seen it in happen in tons of sectors before throughout history. So, you know, with that being said, it just became something where, you know, a monopoly was starting to take place. Um, you know, where dollars can drive marketing and unfortunately to the compute, you know, to the consumers dismays, um, when you own a market, you don't have to innovate. And I think that was kind of the problem that you were seeing. So, that was something where I really felt I could come in and say, look, you know, I really believe this, this product can be innovated and can be approved upon, you know, for the sake of patients. And if you can help make people's lives better, if you can help lower cost, it, it should be great all around. Sure. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to nail you down. I want to go back because, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, that somebody should do something about that. But you saw that and and you decided I'm going to be the person who does something about that. What do you do in that moment? In that moment where you realize something has to happen, um, what are your first steps? Because, I mean, I feel like that's the kind of thing that can translate to any industry, um, you know, taking on an area that might otherwise not be something that you're completely trained in. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I come from, you know, a medical background, uh, having been in medical sales and, and sort of seeing the way that plays out as far as insurance is concerned um, and consumer products and development being, you know, brought to market. Um, it, there, there's a, there's a quote that says the best way to start is to start. Yeah. I like that. So, I mean, it's, you know, it was already on my board, you know, my brain's working, I'm drawing various designs and I'm working, but I'm not giving it my hundred percent capacity. Uh, professionally. And I think that's why just things don't get moved on my board sometimes. And probably other people's boards are probably just like mine. I'm not unique in that uh, aspect. So I think it was just saying, you know what, I I don't like what's going on. So you know what, I'm going to give it all that I can and really just push forward. And if we have something great, if we don't have anything, well, you know, I can go to sleep at night saying I've I've tried to help people and it's, it's good. Right. Very good. Um, so I'd like to kind of circle around. Was there was there any point in your life where you decided you wanted to kind of go out on your own? Um, kind of that entrepreneurial spirit? Is it something you feel like you've always had? Or did you find that somewhere along the way? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I saw my grandfather when I was younger. Uh, my parents were divorced, um, like probably half of America's parents. Um you know, but he had his own business, uh, one that he got rid of. And then he actually started another business, which was a funeral home. And that's what I saw growing up. So I saw somebody that always worked for himself. I I thought that was interesting, but never understood that impact until I got older. Um, I've always been somewhat of a a tinkerer and and maybe what you would call a free thinker. Um, (laughs) but you know, necessarily did I ever think like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to work for this person or work for that. And I necessarily don't like saying, you know, the man, because if we're honest with ourselves, even if we want to work for ourselves, then we just become the man. Sure. So, I mean, it's, you know, kind of a weird thing to say, but, um, I think I understood that the older I got. And what I mean was more of the situations that I put myself in professionally, I kind of noticed that the things that I were, that I was doing was helping others become very, very rich (laughs) and not necessarily myself. Right. So I felt it was very interesting and more compelling to say, Hmm, I wonder if I could just do this myself. And then yes. Well, and then yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, um, you know, the bottom line was, um, you know, I've tried many entrepreneurial gigs, you know, growing up and almost all of them have failed. Please tell us about some. Um, Anything from a dog walking business to I remember selling candy in my school when I was younger because you could just flip it. I mean, mean, my last guest I interviewed had a a business uh, of uh, picking up dog shit. Nice. That was his entire, like, in business when he was young. He put out ads, I will come to your house and I will pick up the dog shit out of your yard and take it away. Yeah, see, such a great niche business, yeah. right? Mine mine was walking, um, yeah. so, you know, didn't last that long. I figured that's not an industry I want to Well, sure, in. but I think that's the important part of the story is you were out there doing something. You were figuring it out. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, you know, I, I tried to start uh, an, an application company uh, for mobile software uh, as well. I did that for about a year. 
Um, so, you know, various things I, I would say, even though, you know, they might not have worked out, I've gleaned so much from every single experience that I think, you know, gaining that knowledge has brought me to where I am. And, and you know, there's a good quote by uh, Thomas Edison. It's probably not a quote. I'll, I'll butcher it. Um, but somebody asked him one time, you know, it's, you know, here you are inventing um, the light bulb and you failed over a thousand times. And his response was, I've never failed. What do you, what do you mean you've never failed? He goes, no, I figured out a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Persistence. Well, and, and perspective. Absolutely. It's His brain didn't work like other people. Where they saw failure, he was just seeing progress to the end goal. Yeah, this is one way that it doesn't work. Exactly. So we move on to the yeah, next. Scratch there is, that one off. Exactly. So there is no failure. Right. And, I, and that's one of the things I think that most people struggle with. And I personally have struggled with it a lot. Um, you know, in, in my early years, my identity was closely tied to my ability to uh, you know, to my innate abilities. Um, you know, as a, as a young person, I did very well in school right away with very little effort, you know, show up, do the work, get A's. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you hit a point where school starts to get harder and I would show up and do the work and go home and, and not really do anything else. I didn't study and do any of that. And then my grades immediately suffered. And I went from thinking that I was a very smart kid to thinking I was not so smart anymore. And, uh, and that, that lasted years. I, I didn't really make that connection between effort and reward, really, that you know I could be better at something. It wasn't that I was not smart anymore. It's that I needed to do more work and put in more effort to become smart. And so it took me way longer than I feel like it should have to make that connection. Um, but I still think I see a lot of people that even that I mentor now that still haven't made that connection. They have things that they're good at. And, you know, and I hear frequently, I'm just not good at X or I'm just not good at Y. And one of the things right. I try to impress upon them is no, yet you're missing a word. You're just not good yet. If you right. want to be, you can be. It might take you longer than it might take some other people. But, you know, if you have the right perspective, if you put that time in, you're going to you, you will figure it out. Yeah. I mean, what is it? Uh, hard work trumps talent. Yeah. Every time, you know, but it's such a, it's a, such a cliche thing that we hear that we, that we think like, uh, that's not true. And because we see failure, even when we put in the hard work, so we, we immediately throw up our hands and say, that's it. I give up. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, you're missing the point. You, know, you might have failed at that situation, but ask yourself one, did you learn anything? Two, can you apply it to anything else in the future? And three, I bet you when you start working hard again and X problem comes up that you just learned from, you'll fly right through right. it. And, and that's another problem is we, we see you know champions that are successful. And, and we rarely see any of the things that they did before they were successful. You know, everyone is an overnight success. And I think it's Steve Jobs. He said, you'll never believe how long it takes to be an overnight success. Uh, because we don't spend a lot of time looking at the failures of the people. We just look at the thing that they did that was amazing. And uh, so when we get out there and we fail, we're like, well, these people are better than us. Um, so that's that's one of the things I try to impress upon uh, you know the young kids that I talk to is is to is perspective right. mindset is, right. is to approach every um, you know problem as something to tackle, um, something to learn from. So I really enjoy that. Yeah, definitely. All right. So you grew up in Jacksonville, Florida in a single parent household. What kind of unique struggles do you feel like you faced at that point in your life that maybe, uh, you know, kind of sent you in the direction that you ended up, you know, kind of that resilience that you built that's obvious? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, probably hindsight, uh, which I think is a, a very strong tool that we can't see at the time. Um, you know, I, I grew up as a, as a minority, uh, which I think is awesome. And the reason I think it's awesome is because, you know, it's given me such a perspective on equality and just how beautiful and wonderfully uniquely we're created, but how we all have the same goal. And the same goal is hopefully to improve our lives and improve our families' lives. Um, so kind of being in that situation uh, just made me appreciate life in general. You know, it uh, wasn't the, the best neighborhood. It surely wasn't the worst neighborhood. Uh, things can always be uh, better and they can always be worse. Sure. So that's another, you know, thing that I definitely take away from my childhood. Um, you know, any time that, you know, I thought it was rough, I could just kind of step outside and talk to anybody and you, you kind of get a quick perspective of the way the world works sure, or, or at least your small bubble of the way the world works yeah. when you're a child. So, you know, coming from Jacksonville, uh, we've talked a little bit in the past. I know that you were kind of on track to play basketball. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I grew up playing soccer until I started becoming a little too big. Um, and, you know, I got, you know, transitioned to to have more of a, a laser focus on uh, basketball. Uh, I kind of go all in when, when I do something. Um, so that led me to progress to say, look, okay, you know, I understand education and maybe that's a plan B, but basketball, I'm good. Like, let's let's just do it and go all in. So as I, as I began to improve, uh, I had the opportunity to go to UNC. Um, and I unfortunately decided to play intramural. And during the off season, I actually broke my ankle and tore some of the ligaments in it. And that kind of derailed me. And, you know, I like to say God has a plan that I just can't understand. And he just kind of took it away from me. Um, you know, it, that happened. I rehabbed, I hurt my ankle again, uh, lost the chance for the community college that I was going to go to, to play basketball there. They actually lost their basketball program. I felt like, Hey, I don't give up. I'm going to keep going. So, you know, during my off rehab time, uh, funny enough, I'm sitting there working, waiting tables. Um, and I hit something walking around a corner and I blew my knee out. So now my knee gets blown out. All right, fine. Still not giving up. We're going to rehab. We're going to get back to the grind. Um, and, and I'm not making this up. So I'm rehabbing, starting to play again. I'm getting a little bit long in the tooth, if I'm honest. But my mindset is just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I don't even care if I sit on the bench. I'm going to do it. Sure. Um, and then I actually herniated two discs in my spine. So at about that time, I said, you know what? There probably needs to be a plan B. I'm just not meant to play this sport. <laughs> so what, what are you doing at that point? It sounds like you, you, know, you were going all in. That was the goal. Now uh, that's kind of been taken away. Yeah, at that time, um, I would say lost, Okay, if I'm honest. Um, that's an important place in some of our lives is to be lost for a second. Yeah, you know, it really is. Um, and I think very important for, for my development and just to show how powerless I am. You know, you think life will take you one way and it'll take you another. And sometimes that can be okay, even though you don't think it at the time, but it really can. Um, yeah, I, you know, I wind up getting married a little time after that. And, you know, my wife actually encouraged me. 
um, you know, there was these guys that I used to take care of. I was waiting tables at the time and, uh, they really wanted me to come work for them. And knowing my personality, uh, that I'm, you know, I really commit to something. Uh, they wanted me to come help them grow their company. They were just starting out. I was a mortgage company at the time and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it cause I felt like I was going to be married to it for a long time. And I just remember my wife saying, look, do it. If you don't like it, quit. If you do, then maybe it'll lead you forward and teach you something. So that's kind of got, you know, that is what got me more into a professional lane, if you will. Sure. And the two guys that ran that company, they really did take me under their wing and, you know, they really did mentor me was one of the first times I've ever actually had that, you know, in my life at that time. And I thought it was awesome because here's this kind of street kid just trying to get out. And for whatever reason, they saw something and said, Hey, come on. Right. So appreciate that guys. (laughs) Shout out. (laughs) Uh, So where do you go from there? I assume you mean professionally, because I probably went to the bar and got a beer or something <laughs> after that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, that's pretty big in your first professional job. Yeah, it was. I, it was a whirlwind. You know, it was back when uh, real estate was booming. Uh, I came in, and I think we were doing roughly, you know, three, four million a month, and we grew it into about a $50 million a month company. Um, so it was really exciting to help develop processes and, you know, training, uh, just everything that goes within making a company. And that was really my first true taste of a real startup. And I was like, "Uh, I think I like this. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So how long were you there? I was there for about three years. Uh, I went over to the West coast, um, and actually uh, started a territory over there. Um, and picked up a lot of the slack that was going on with the, the rest of the people. So I was really kind of developing the, the West coast at the time. Um, and, and in that process, you, you know, you can kind of reflect and see yourself, um, and maybe the skills that you were given, maybe not saying I have them, but maybe, um, but you know, coming from the inside and understanding the full world and going to the outside and, and really understanding the outside world, I began to get a different picture. And having a, a really close relationship with my CEO and my CFO, uh, I could kind of see the writing on the wall and what was being done. And I didn't agree with it. Um, so I decided to resign. And thankfully, that was probably maybe six, eight months before the, the crash happened. Um, I'd been working my tail off. So when I resigned, I literally did nothing for six months and spent, just spent all the time with my wife and just kind of enjoyed California and, and traveling around that West coast area. Um, she has family from here and that's, that's what brought me back to North Carolina. Actually. Right so how long were you here before you decided to go out on your own? Which time? <laughs> so I'm here for, um, I'm really bad on timelines, but I'll say I was here for maybe three years. Um, I was working for a disposable company, a large uh, distributor at the time. Um, and the iPhone had come out and you could kind of see the power of the platform. So being who I am, I said, you know what? I'm not married to this job. I understand the way the market works. 
And I left and went all in again to kind of start the the mobile company. And unfortunately, I'll just say that the relationship that I you know was wanting to create with my partner just wasn't eye to eye. Um, and I'm I would rather just part ways than to drag something out that was bad. Sure. So just burn it to the ground. Gotcha. That's not arson. I just mean I quit the business. Yeah, the relationship. <laughs> Correct. All right. So at what point do we decide? Uh, and you said you did earlier, you said you'd gotten into medical sales. Um, at what point did you decide to, you know, cut that and, and go all in on your business? Yeah. So, you know, I originally got in, you know, after the disposable, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. Um, so I really wanted to get into the medical field. I really wanted to help people. I knew that was just um, a, a good area of my life that I could look on and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty thankful that I have the opportunity to help improve people's lives. Found a company uh, that had been around for a while, but never had a outside sales division. So went to work for them, uh, created a outside sales division for um, an area. And again, it feels like you're more in the startup world. So I'm getting that sense, uh, kind of giving me that itch again, if you will. Sure. So um, thankfully, a lot of great things happened. Uh, great mentor in that company uh, as well uh, really helped. Uh, push me and, and grow me professionally and personally. Um, and I'd been setting it up actually ever since, you know, I kind of first took the job and kind of started feeling that startup again. So I worked for uh, about four years and uh, resigned. And, you know, I resigned on great terms with a, with a great man that gave me a high five on the way out and uh, wished me the best and didn't want me to look back on my life and have regrets. And, you know, that was encouraging in of itself. You know, I had great support at home. So that's kind of why I did what I did. And here well, we are. What was the catalyst? Like, where were you? What was the moment where you said, this is, I, I, this is something I want to do and I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's a great question. Cause that's such a big moment in someone's life. You know, by this time I had had enough, enough feel of the startup world. I felt, and I knew that I wasn't meant just to keep doing a nine to five and there's nothing wrong with that. I think people are pressed upon, you know, their own heart to, to do what they need to do. Um, so, you know, being a free thinker, I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. So I talked to my wife and Hey, look, man, once you have support at home, it's all thumbs up. So from there, it's just, you know, aligning the pieces, right. To, to allow me to be able to resign, and then kind of go forward from there. Right on. Um, so let's go back to, uh, you know, the epinephrine product. Tell us a little bit more about that. Tell us about the unique vision you have. Sure. Yeah. The, w the way that we created it is we saw, you know, again, uh, maybe companies that have become nascent in their design um, just through lack of competition or, in a, you know, innovation, whatever that may be. So completely redesigned the way the epinephrine pen works. Uh, well, what, what, well, like, what, how is it designed now? What's wrong with the existing product? Sure. If you, if you look at the, the existing product, uh, there's two caps on both ends. It's, it's kind of hard to differentiate which way to use the pen. Uh, it's not very intuitive. Uh, there's a lot of accidents that occur uh, actually from the way that it's designed. Uh, maybe misfiring, you know, the needle within your own thumb. Uh, you you kind of have to do a jabbing move which can cause a hooking of the needle. So you can imagine the needle kind of turning into a fish hook in 
your leg. Lovely. Yeah, lovely. So uh, you'll, you'll be visiting the ER later that day. And, you know, especially with children, if you're having to do a little bit of a lunging move uh, with the device, it, it can be a little intimidating. So a lot of times you're, you know, the ER seeing lacerations, you know, massive lacerations. So it was definitely one of the things that we wanted to help resolve was the improvement of care for children. And also just the size is big, it's bulky. So, you know, we designed something along the lines that looks like an ink pen. Everybody's familiar with that. So it's very intuitive, uh, maybe a half to a third of the size of the, of the current device. We also felt that it was important for uh, mobility for patients to not have to carry fanny packs or backpacks, which might sound weird, but they do because they have to keep it on them and you can't keep it in the car because it can become too hot. So we wanted to to minimize that size. So we developed a carrying case that actually has built in audio instructions. So as soon as you open the case, you use a desi- device. If you have a person that needs to use a device, as soon as they open it, the audio instructions start, which is very important for people that might not be familiar with your condition. Sure. So it really helps improve patient care uh, overall. And it's a, it's a green option because it's reusable, which is great. The entire mechanism or just the case, J- just the case itself. Uh, you know, one of the large competitors, they built the audio component within the syringe. Uh, we wanted to have a greener aspect by making it a reusable device. So there was a couple of reasons for that one. We can make the syringe itself smaller for the patient. So again, easier for children to use. Um, and then, you know, you don't have to dump, you know, chipsets and speakers and everything into our landfills, you can actually reuse them. So so it sounds like you're selling them the case one time and then they're refilling it with the pens over and over. That is correct, which actually holds down long-term costs for the patients, which we felt was just highly important. Sure. So, um, you know, back to the syringe, you know, by designing it smaller, it becomes easier to hold. And since there's not a push mechanism on ours, you can actually manually control it. Uh, you can actually just set it on your leg, which causes a much stable base. And that should actually help alleviate any kind of hooking or lacerations that go on. And, you know, the second part of it is over 6 million kids actually have anaphylactic syndrome. I didn't know it was that many. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fair number out of the 15 million people that have it. So, you know, we're seeing allergies on the rise, just given the way foods and GMOs and everything else is produced nowadays. Um, by being able to calmly take care of the kid and actually be restful as we're using the device, you know, you're going to see kids jump less, which should mitigate the the chances of lacerations. Sure. So where are you in the process with this? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, we're, we're patent pending, which is good. Uh, you know, we're starting FDA, we're working with classifications, um, and, and trying to push it through there. Um, and, and that'll take a while. Yeah. What are the major obstacles uh, going through that process? <laughs> Time. <laughs> Unfortunately, the FDA, I believe, is really understaffed. Um, they are. I think they work hard. Um, but just the processes that have been put in place for them, like governmental regulations and things of that nature, it just takes them longer than it should. Um, and not saying that's their fault. I'm not sure. saying that it is. It you know, isn't. But... Um, yeah, so we're going through that, and basically we're going to release a crowdsourcing campaign, and we'll do that on Indiegogo. And the reason why we're going to do that is that should help us manufacture the cases. Uh, one of our cases um, actually has reusable vials 
that you can slip inside so you can take pre-measured antihistamine with you or with your child as you go out so you don't have to carry separate bottles, which is actually, you know, we feel is a, a very vital part um, of allergy sufferers. So it's going to allow us to manufacture those. And then the additional funds, you know, that, that are being raised is going to help us push through FDA. You know, our ultimate goal is, you know, we don't mind taking this to the end, you know, at all, you know, we're resolved to do that, but we're also not opposed uh, to partnering, you know, via licensing or selling it to another pharmaceutical company that has the best intentions in mind for the patients so they can receive the end result even quicker. I like that socially conscious mindset, but I couldn't help hearing uh, maybe at least a little insinuation that maybe some of the companies that are currently operating are not uh, operating in the best interest of the patient at all times. Not to put anybody on blast, I'm sure a lot of people know what's going on in the public eye right now. Um, you know, in general, if you look at a whole healthcare and the cost of medicine as a whole is out of control. Sure. You know, you're seeing a, a rising rate faster than inflation. Um, and, you know, I think it all stems just the way business is designed and we're all probably guilty of it. You know, a lack of competition creates monopoly and it creates an over emphasis, you know, emphasis of power. And I think we're starting to see more of the, uh, of these socially conscious companies popping up because I think companies have uh, started to realize that if they do enough and they create a product, A, that's good, but B, they create a brand that is likable. Um, that that the public feels is working on their behalf, that they can make money that way. It, we see we're seeing it a lot more where brands are coming out and they're giving back almost as much as they're making sometimes, and that's doing nothing but propelling them even further. Do you feel like that's something that we're gonna? Because that kind of sounds like what you're doing. You're going to try to give this, you know, not give, but you're going to try to make this product available at the cheapest price possible while also still making a profit. Do you think that's something that we're going to see more and more in the pharmaceutical industry? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, I honestly think you're going to see it as a whole over every sector. And the reason I can really see it playing out that way is in the old days, heck, even 15 years ago, uh, to get in the game as far as manufacturing and prototyping and just getting your idea out there, it took a lot of capital. And I believe there's always been a ton of people that have had great ideas and money has kind of been that hindrance. Um, nowadays, you can 3D print. You can injection mold, you know, through resins. You know, you can build websites really quick and use drop shipping. And I mean, you're seeing all these other disruptive companies that you can pair with as an individual to get your idea out there. And really disrupt the older, more solidified companies, if you will. Sure. So I think that's going to happen over every single industry because you have a lot of great people out there with a lot of great ideas that really can help society because that's what they want to do. And that's what's on their heart. Yeah, and there's more access now to it than there's ever been. I mean, the ability to get funding is, is at a level that we've never seen before. Right. I mean, literally... You know, I, every few weeks, I feel like I see an email for an investor who's coming through town, right? who is looking actively 
to give money to somebody with a good idea. Well, and I think that's why, right? I mean, you have people that have a lot of capital, and I think they're smart enough to understand the the change in dynamics that comes through manufacturing. So these people you wouldn't have paid attention to, you now better pay attention to. Yeah. Social platforms and social media, when people find a good idea by a good person, they're like, hey, you know, we together can actually affect this change. Yeah. We're going to take a quick moment here to give a shout out to our affiliate partners on the show. Listeners, there are infinite paths to success, but they all start with knowledge. And I'm not just talking about school. The internet has brought us a multitude of free and inexpensive resources right to your fingertips. And one of my favorite resources is Udemy.com. You can learn virtually anything you want when you want. And the best part is Udemy lets you learn it right from the pros themselves. Udemy really has turned the doers into teachers and turned your laptops and mobile devices into classrooms. Now check on the blog for a link to get access to any of Udemy's courses in their catalog for just $15. That's Udemy.com. Now listeners, I have been a book lover my entire life. I love the way they feel in my hand. I love the smell of the pages. So I will never stop buying books. But over the last few years, I have become a big fan of digital books. And my favorite app for ebooks is Kindle Unlimited. Kindle Unlimited brings the world's largest bookshelf right to your fingertips. Forget to grab a book you want for a vacation? Not a problem. Want to just read a quick passage in a book that you don't want to buy the whole book? You can do that too. Kindle Unlimited brings the written world to your fingertips for less than the cost of a paperback per month. As always, you can find links to anything mentioned in the show on the blog and in the show notes. And any purchases that you make through our affiliate links are going to kick a portion back to the show to help us keep the lights on around here. All right, we're back. Now, Blake, one of the things that I like to talk about on the show is habits and routines. I read a lot of books from entrepreneurs, and they're generally peppered with the habits and routines of the entrepreneurs that they believe lead them to success. You know, the things that they choose to do every single day. Do you have any habits and routines in your life that you feel are responsible for your success? Yeah, I think, you know, as far as habit is concerned, you know, I, I try to be a habitual reader, um, especially the older I get. Um, it's amazing what you can glean from other people instead of kind of staying inside your bubble. You know, information is just everywhere nowadays. So, we don't have almost the excuse to say we don't know yeah. anymore. I don't know how many arguments I've had with people where it just stops and they go, hold on, let me Google that real quick. <laughs> and, they, and they look it up. Like you, you can find anything you want to. Sure. Um, so I think that's a habit. You know, another habit of mine, you know, and I've probably had this habit my, my whole life now that I think about it, you know, as I talk, I, it's curiosity. I, I'm not okay with I don't know. Got to find the answer there. It's out there. You can't just sit there and shrug your shoulders to me. You know, that, that shows laziness. You know, I have a friend of mine and he, you know, if you ask him anything in the world, I think his only answer is work hard. I literally think that's it. You can be like, Hey, I really got to go to the bathroom and just be like, work hard, hey, work hard. Yeah, I mean, it'll get done. Yeah. You, you'll get it done quicker. I mean, it's just all he's about, but, but there's some truth in that. Right. I mean, I mean, you can, can kind of make that fit to whatever, you know, you, the way you feel about it. I mean, you, you really can, you know, whether that's, you know, self-knowledge, uh, helping others attain knowledge through mentorship, you know, which is something that I know that you do a great job with. Um, but, you know, I think those are probably my, my main habits. 
And as far as scheduling, do you have kind of a day-to-day schedule you stick to, or is it more just day-by-day? Yeah, I, you know, I should, you know, if I'm guilty, I should say I probably should be better. Um, but I'm an ebb and flow kind of guy. You know, I, I do have a structure to what I do. Um, I will say that maybe one of my strengths, uh, it's, be, you know, it's becoming more of a strength, is time management. And I've also learned that time is very irrelevant. There's 24 hours in a day for all of us. We're, we're no different. So it just depends if you want to work five and say you're tired, if you want to work 20 and say you're tired. That's the only difference. Right. Yeah, the big one for me was scheduling. Um, I I didn't start keeping a calendar until my first year of law school. And I, I have no idea how I got through life at all Amen. before that. Um, because now, like if it, you know, if you look at my calendar, it says Blake, four o'clock recording. Yeah, I think my calendar tells me everything. <laughs> because, I don't even know what I'm right, doing until like, my calendar tells me. Right, <laughs> I, I know where I'm going because my calendar tells me when to be there, and that's been a big part of my life. Uh, so when I, instead of waking up every morning and deciding what I'm going to do, uh, that get that gets very tedious for me because, you know, as a self-employed person. You, you use your time the way you want to. Uh, you know, no one's telling you where to go and where to come. And that uh, initially can be very difficult to manage if you don't have the proper self-control because yeah. you can do anything you want. So sometimes if you decide, I don't feel like doing anything, then you're not doing anything sometimes. And so yes. one of the ways that I immediately recognized that and I had to overcome it, and one of the ways I've been able to stay on top of myself is everything's on the calendar. I wake up at 630 and then, you know, I meditate first thing. I take my, I do my Spanish lessons right after that. And then, you know, depending on what's on the calendar, we do that next thing. You know, right. we go through, we organize our notes from last week. So I make a lot of notes. I take notes generally no matter where I am. So I organize my notes on Monday morning. And, and so instead of waking up Monday and being like, all right, well, what do we need to get done? This is what we do. And right. obviously, you know, as the day wears on, uh, things come up and you start doing different things. Of course. But, but I find that as long as I've got that base, doing all of the things that need to get done at the right time, by the time nine o'clock r- rolls around, I've got a lot of stuff done already. Um, I feel accomplished and that feeling of accomplishment gets me moving even farther through the day. Um, so I, I, and that's one of the things I learned from entrepreneurs, from right. reading their biographies is everything is scheduled. Everything is done. And it keeps me from getting... Uh, I think it's Tim Ferriss that I heard this from. It's called decision fatigue, where you are constantly deciding whether to do this or whether to do that. Should I go to the gym? No, no, no. You don't decide whether you go to the gym. You go to the gym because it's Monday and it's 830. Right. And you go to the gym on Monday at 830. Right. So you're not deciding anymore. And, you know, some people take that to the extreme where they don't even decide what they're eating for breakfast. They know what they're eating for breakfast because it's already written out. They eat the same thing on this day. So they get up. be so much better at that. Right? They get up. They have scrambled eggs on Monday. Um, And and I don't go that far. Yeah, I'm not Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. I can't go that meticulous in the Absolutely. But um, but that's one of the things that's really helped me stay on point and focused instead of having to constantly make these decisions um, that ultimately sabotage me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you made a great, great reference uh, earlier about kind of learning how to motivate yourself. And I would say that's something I've been very blessed with uh, from choosing the jobs, you know, that I've had is no one has looked over my shoulders. Yeah. And that's one of the great things when you have a sales position. Um, 
look, man, numbers don't lie. You either do the work or you don't. It's really that simple. I'm not here to babysit you. You're a grown man or a grown woman. Figure out how to do it. So, you know, there, there comes this self-motivation, right? You know, to where, you know, it becomes something more uh, than just a job. Right on. So, I know you're a big family man just from, you know, knowing you so well. How how do you handle that work-life balance? Because I know you put in a lot of hours sometimes. Yeah, it's probably why my schedule isn't that good. Uh, <laughs> I have two children, and if I'm honest, they're my job. Right. You know, my job is uh, to help lead them um, and hopefully grow them up uh, to be uh, two gentlemen, um, you know, to this world and hopefully helpers, you know, in this world. Uh, that's certainly what we're here for. Um, so that's one of my priorities. My other, you know, is my wife, um, and trying to help her see, you know, become better. You know, I don't want us to to ever be the same. I don't understand people that say you're you're true to yourself. Look, myself is old. (laughs) I want a new self. Yeah. So we should always become uh, new people. And that's, that's one of the things that, um, I'm not, I don't even remember where I heard it, but you know, don't be yourself. That's the worst advice I think anybody's ever given anybody in the history of the world. Never be yourself. <laughs> Always be Batman. Just never be yourself. <laughs> you know, when I was first uh, first trying to date girls when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old, first got interested, uh, the, the older generation would always say, be yourself. And, yeah, that's that. I was like, that's shitty advice. Um, but Have you met me? <laughs> some of the, well, it's just, you know, the, well, and I think it gives you this idea that you're okay as you are. And, right. And yeah, to a certain degree, I understand what they're going for, but you're not. Um, the moment that you decide that you're okay as you are, I mean, is the moment you're giving up. And, and that's something that I have thought about for many years now is don't be yourself, be your best self always be better. Um, and, and I wrote a, I wrote an article about this, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. And I said, you know, if I decided in 2011 to just be myself, I wouldn't be where I am right now because my wife wouldn't have married that guy because that guy wasn't good enough for her. That guy was not the kind of person that, you know, gets the things that I now have in life. Um, and so I think it's so important to not just rest on your laurels. Don't be yourself. Be you know the best version of yourself possible. Always be learning. Always be growing. Right. I think it's a great compliment if you meet somebody from 15 years ago and they say, you're nothing like you were. It's like, thank yeah. you. I've been working very hard at it. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Um, so now this is one of the things I always like to ask people, too, because I'm always very interested in what other people do to, to keep their stress down. Um, so like anyone who's at it nonstop, it can be hard to stay centered sometimes. Do you have any techniques that you use? Like I said, I meditate. Um, it kind of helps me stay centered. Um, do you have any techniques you use to decompress, like kind of when shit gets heavy? I take walks by myself. Yeah. You know, I think that's uh, one of the major things is, you know, I, I love being outside. I'm very much an outside person. Um, I probably... It's funny, I probably work 18, 20 hours a day, but out of that, I probably take an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and I just walk by myself, and that's it. And I just think, and I try to break down everything that's going on and understand uh, life is like a chess game. 
you know, at what, what was it, training day with uh, Denzel Washington. Yeah, I've seen that. He said, man, this is chess, not checkers. <laughs> it's a completely different game, and you have to be able to step back and see that. That's nice. I don't remember that part. I just remember the part about him making making the guy smoke the angel dust. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a good one, actually. That's good, though. I like that. I need to rewatch that movie now. A fantastic movie. All right, Blake, this brings us to the point in the show that we call the Future Self Skinny Minute, uh, where I'll be asking you a series of semi-rapid-fire questions to give the listeners the skinny on you. Um, originally, I, I, I say this, but I've intended this to be a short segment. That's why I called it the Skinny Minute, um, but it has quickly uh, outgrown that name, but we're not changing it. Um, so, are you ready? I'm ready. Right Let's on. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Probably from Winnie the Pooh. Okay, I like it. <laughs> so uh, there's a quote uh, in the book that says, uh, a little consideration and a little thought for others makes all the difference. That's good. I like that. I like that you're carrying that from Winnie the Pooh, too. You like that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. This is one I like to ask people. You can have a beer with any person living or dead. Who is it? If it's not Jesus, I'm going Einstein just because he is crazy as probably I am. And I would love to sit down and just nitpick his brain all day. Sure. Speaking of his brain, I feel like uh, I listened to a book not too long ago. I think it was because we're about to have a child. It's called Brain Rules for Baby. I'm trying to make, you know, try not to mess your kid up as best you can. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but apparently Einstein's brain, like this guy took it unauthorized to study it and didn't give it back to the family for like 20 years. But he just wanted to study his brain and see what made him different. Um, yeah, yeah, you're probably a hard work. That's our tangent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, let's say you have 30 seconds to tell someone the most important advice on finding success as an entrepreneur. What do you tell them? Don't think. Find something that actually matters to you and do it. Boom. Quick and concise. I like it. What is one book that everyone needs to read? The World is Flat. Okay. And we'll uh, we'll link the books and the, all the books in the show notes uh, and on the blog as well. Fantastic! So you can find that. Any reason why that's the one? I think it's a great book to to understand, even though the world is so big, exactly how small it is. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're all so connected. I mean, we really are, and it's so it's so easy to get lost in the vastness. Sure. But there's one way to remember it. It's six degrees of separation, right? Right. Kevin Bacon, right? Kevin Bacon, baby. <laughs> we, we can get to him if we want to. He's there for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Blake. I really dig hard-hitting quotes. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a bit of a slacker uh, at my core. Um, so I kind of use these quotes from, you know, other successful people to keep me on task. Do you have any favorite quotes that resonate with you? You know, it's one that I've I've made my own over the years, but it was one that was said by Plato, and a lot of people think that it was uh, Socrates who said it. Uh, but my take on it is, uh, it really does keep me grounded. Is all I know is I don't know, and I think it's just a uh, you know for me, anytime I, I think I'm even remotely getting big headed, 
I can say that quote out loud and it immediately grounds me to remind me that I'm pretty stupid. Yeah, there's a there's kind of a play on that same quote that really resonates with me, and it's the more I learn, the less I know. Amen to that. That's you a good know? one, too. That's why teenagers are such a pain in the ass. Oh, you know everything. Yeah. Hey, man, yesterday you know, I thought <laughs> I knew everything. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, that, you know, that was definitely the way. Like, and, and then every, I don't know, every five years or so, I try to really take stock of, uh, of you know, what I've just done and where I've come from and where I am now. And I'm always so uh, almost embarrassed. I look at that guy. Like, I look at the guy I was when I was 30, and I'm like, that guy. So How embarrassing. short-sighted. Yeah, just, you know, oh. and, and I think that's important, uh, you know, to, to be able to look back and see that and be like, wow. But, I mean, it goes into, you know, you've been a better person. You're at your best self. Uh, so... That's what this podcast is about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, this moment in time, you know, five years from now, I'm like, oh my God, we're so much better than that now. I know. Could you believe what we actually said? It's recorded. <laughs> we can't take it back. <laughs> right? Talk about feeling the fear and doing it anyway. <laughs> yes, sir. Enjoy the roller coaster. Right. What did 10-year-old Blake Anderson think he would be doing right now? Even though I was told I'd always be dead or in jail, that's a that's a hard one. Don't remember? What I think I was going to be? Yeah. I always really kind of wanted to be an architect, honestly. Okay. So even though my vocabulary was vast, you know, my mother was a an, an English major uh, and a master uh, as well. Um, I, I didn't exactly speak the best. Uh, you don't really want to get punched in your face every single day. <laughs> so I remember I had a conversation, you know, obviously very young. And it was, hey, I think I want to be an architect. And they said, hey, you know, you have to actually write a lot. And English is not your strong suit. And for some reason, I don't know. Seems like a terrible thing to tell a child. It punched me in my face where I was just like, wow. Like, I think I'm creative enough to to do this. Maybe. Hindsight, I, I definitely am not, FYI. But. That seems like a very fixed mindset you have right now. <laughs> it is. How dare I? Have I learned nothing through this interview? <laughs> uh, so what advice would you give 10-year-old Blake if you could right now? You know, I would say don't change anything. Dude, I hear that. Let it all play out. Let it all happen. Because everything and every nuance and every bad thing and every great thing has led me to do what I'm doing now and to sit here with you. And I'm thankful for every single moment. Dude, strong. And you know, when I wrote that down, I, I had the same thought. You know, because I'm just about to be a father. It's something I've wanted to be my whole life. And I was like, I wouldn't change a thing for the fear of changing anything. Yeah. Like, I am exactly where I want to be. You exactly. Know? That might not be the truth in five years. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> might, it might not be. I could be like, oh, good Lord, can I have that question again? Like, oh, wow, that was a bad answer. Yeah, good answer, though. <laughs> All right. Now, Blake, music is one of my true passions in life. Um, so I always like to ask this at the end of the interview. Um, because when I am, you know, under the gun, I like to put on music and get stuff done. Is there one album that you turn to when you absolutely need to get shit done? Man, I am very vast in my, uh, music taste. Whatever. To just get something done. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> people are probably going to laugh, but especially nowadays, do I have to go just an album or just a genre? Dad, whatever your question for me if i need to get stump something done i am probably putting on classical 
Okay. I mean, seriously. That was my studying music. It zones me out. I mean, there's so much beauty and I guess the noise without the lyrics. Right. It doesn't, it's, you know, especially if I'm writing, like if there's lyrics on, it's hard for me to write. Yeah. I'm Uh, dialed in. If I just want to jam and not think that deep and just get things done. Right. Then what? That's a different question. Yeah. Well, let's ask that one. Um, What's the album? Ooh, the one album. I know. That's why it's a hard question. Oh my! We're not throwing softballs over here, Blake. Yeah, that question this is the isn't future really self podcast. Well, the future self is going to look back and say that was a horrible answer. <laughs> I don't have one album. Is really? that sad? No, it's all right. I don't. I literally don't have just one album. Right, I understand that. And that is actually the honest answer. All right. Well, I know how busy you are, so I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking some time to be here. My pleasure. But before I let you leave, where can the listeners find you? Web, social media, where you at? Yeah. So our website is uh, Renco, R-E-N-C-O medical.com. Okay. And our Twitter and Instagram is Renco medical as well. Are we on Facebook as well? We're on Facebook, even though I don't use Facebook yet that much. Because we're learning, because we know that social media. Yes, I know that I is have very important. To, so therefore, we're he's like ninety. His voice just doesn't sound like it. <laughs> so you'll also be able to find us on Indiegogo in the next coming weeks. I will be releasing our campaign as well. All right, Blake. Good times. Glad to have you, here, man. Appreciate it. Thank you it. very much. Thanks for having me. Hey friends, that is our show for the week, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did recording it. Blake really is one of my favorite people, and it was a privilege having him in the studio. I'm already looking forward to having him back in the future to follow up on his journey. And keep in mind, the Renko Indiegogo campaign goes live on February 21st, so check back here for all the details. And listener, if you liked what you heard today, I would be thrilled if you hopped on over to the iTunes Store, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, SoundCloud, wherever it is that you're listening and hit that subscribe button and take a second and leave us an honest review of the show that is how we keep getting the word out there now because i know your time is your most valuable asset before i go i want to say a sincere thank you for spending some of it with me today it means the world so until next week get out there and get after it you've been listening to the future self podcast thanks for listening now get out there and give your future self something to cheer about